0: welcome to the hollywood adjacent podcast i'm aaron
1: i'm bob and today we're going to talk about what it means to be an oscar film looking at mank as well as the end of 2020 the most extraordinary thing in a frame is a human being i would never even consider crying during the west it's just appreciating
0: people who are great it's the best show of all time
1: hey man how you doing
0: i'm doing well how are you
1: It's been kind of rainy, so I've had some time to watch some of the new movies coming out. Uh, I watched um, Prom, which we're going to talk about later. Mank, which we're going to talk about later. What about you? What have you been watching?
0: I started Giri Haji on Netflix. (laughs) Which is a Japanese show. Giri means duty, Haji means shame. A year ago at this time, I was in Japan for three weeks. So my brother watched it. Uh, and he loved it and I watched two episodes it's not a binge show because half the show's in subtitles and it's a pretty deep thought-provoking show it's really good
1: I uh, have never even seen it it's never even come up on my my Netflix queue which is kind of my problem with finding new stuff to watch it's so hard to find stuff that's not being recommended to me I feel like what about you
0: I feel that they push what they want people to watch versus what you might actually be interested in.
1: Yeah. I don't know if I agree with that because I feel like I'm getting really good recommendations for the stuff. I watch on Netflix, which is a lot of like drama documentary style things, but it just, the suggestions I'm getting are more, more obscure, like odd British and like South American, like television shows that deal with murder and like, I don't know, documentaries about murder, that sort of thing, which is not all I watch. That and Ava. If I see one more ad for Ava on Netflix, I'm going to go crazy.
0: And I don't even know what Ava is.
1: You haven't seen that on Netflix?
0: Nope.
1: That was a Jessica Chastain movie that came out in like May or June. Uh, It's been number one on Netflix or in the top ten on Netflix for at least two weeks, I think.
0: Have you watched it?
1: I started it. I love Jessica Chastain. Uh, Molly's Game, one of my favorite movies that she's done. She's just a really, really strong actress, so it was weird to see her in this movie. It's her and John Malkovich and Colin Farrell's in it.
0: Peter, why would someone not want you to be alive anymore?
1: What are you talking about? Anyways, you know, it's a a couple people that you're like, oh, you make good movies, and to see this movie that kind of tanked and then is going to Netflix so soon, I was just curious. I did not make it through, though, the first 20 minutes. I was like, ah, I don't need to watch the rest of this.
0: So my favorite part of Molly's Game, the law, which your friend mentioned, he got the name of the law firm. He noticed it, too. Aaron Sorkin wrote that in the West Wing, and the law firm that Rob Lowe worked at in the West Wing prior to working in the White House, was Gage Whitney. And the law firm Idris Alba works at is Gage Whitney, where you just see it on the monitor's screensaver in the background, which was awesome.
1: That's your favorite part of that movie?
0: No, but it was just so smart, and I really appreciated it.
1: We're going to talk about Mank in, in a bit, and I think there's some aspects to Mank— as far as like the dialogue that kind of would be interesting to look at through the lens of Aaron Sorkin. But since you said that, have you watched the trial of the Chicago seven? I have not really. Why have you not watched it?
0: It just, because no one's recommended it to me. I have like four people who are like, you have to watch this and none of them have recommended that.
1: That's interesting. I, being here in Florida, it's something that, you know, a lot of people watch, which kind of surprised me, the fact that no one's recommended it to you. It's about this trial in Chicago of these seven people, or six people, rather, one of the people, shouldn't be in the trial in the first place, um, who led to a police riot when they were protesting. You all right? I was until I saw that. Aaron Sorkin wrote and directed it. Uh, And it's got some really good moments throughout it. Um, It's, again, kind of like we were talking with Hillbilly Elegy, kind of like we are going to be talking with Mank. It's one of those movies that is getting a lot of buzz for Oscars uh, and was getting that before it was released. And so, I mean, I, of course, watched it. But really, no one suggested it to you at all?
0: Nope. Not at all.
1: I think that goes to a bigger question that I'm curious about uh, when we – When we look at a movie like Mank or the other ones I just mentioned, why are these movies even made these days? I found this amazing article that I'll link to in the blog post for this episode um, that talks about the fact that between, I think, 1950 or 1960 to 2004, the Oscar winners were also big box office draws. But the last big box office movie that also won an Oscar was uh, Return of the King in 2004. Before that, it was Titanic. So we're looking at 16 years of the Oscars going to more obscure, less monetarily popular, which I also think means less generally popular than the other films that are making a ton of money and have a rabid fan base. So why are people making these movies anymore? If they're not going to be fantastic, if they're not going to tell a story that when you see the trailer... For Chicago Seven, if you're not gonna immediately click on that, why is someone gonna make this movie?
0: Well, I think in the case of like David Fincher on Netflix, House of Cards, you know, kind of launched Netflix and made them so much money that he kind of gets to do what he wants. And I think that the streaming services to get the huge name talent. They almost get to do their pet projects, things that a studio wouldn't make. Hillbilly Elegy, I don't think, would get made if you still went to the movie theater. I think Mank might, but it would be an art house movie only playing in New York, L.A., and Austin.
1: You know, I want to insert something real quick in here from another article that I sent you, the Vulture article that is an interview with uh Fincher where since he said since he made House of Cards he gets to do whatever he wants in the article he kind of talks more about how maybe it was House of Cards followed by Mindhunter that gave him free range but this is what he says exactly always there were always a lot of people saying yeah except the black and white part and the part where there's a period and the part where it's mono and the part about the guy who wrote Citizen Kane we love everything then Netflix because they want to become the repository of everything decided to fold us under the category of everything I feel like in that he's saying this is a movie that wouldn't be made at all and it's not about Netflix saying do whatever your passion project is. It's just them saying we're willing to go along with this a little bit further. I don't know. What do you think he's saying there?
0: I think it's really difficult for these great filmmakers to go along with the change of times. And he may think that but the only reason it's getting made is cuz he's a huge name. Like Soderbergh is trying different things, shot something on an iPhone. You know, David Fincher would never do that. David Fincher probably won't take a picture with an iPhone.
1: Yeah. I think the rest of I think the rest of that vulture article would speak to exactly what you're saying that he feels dated. When he talks about things, the way he talks about movies, it's kind of the way Christopher Nolan talks about movies. They mm-hmm. feel out of touch with things. You watched the Soderbergh film uh, with Meryl Streep on HBO Max.
0: Let Them All Talk. Uh,
1: How do you think that stacks up as far as storytelling compared to Mink?
0: I thought Let Them All Talk was awesome. I thought Lucas Hedges was great. And I thought Gemma Chan. I didn't know who she was. And I thought she was brilliant. In this film, I never knew what was going to happen next. The ending was a little easy with her, spoiler, illness. I'm going to start work on my manuscript. Swim at three, dinner at seven, back to work, or bed, or both. I'll probably work in bed. But I I thought it was really good and really honest, and I was also curious how they shot it. Like, did they shoot it on a cruise ship? Did they build sets for that? Um, And I really liked it, and Mank was like an acting exercise versus a really good movie.
1: Before you get to make I want to, I want to ask you the question again cuz I think that I I want to know you talked about how great the acting was in Let Them All Talk. Well, I think the acting in Mank, especially from Gary Oldman obviously, maybe only from Gary Oldman was astounding. But what do you think looking at let them all talk compared to Mank. What do you think you saw that Steven Soderbergh doing that's more modern and maybe more adaptable than what Fincher did, which is literally the exact opposite of being modern and adaptable to the to modern times?
0: I'm not sure I've ever seen a movie shot like Let Them All Talk in its simplicity, but then like being complicated without you noticing. And that's what I mean about the sets and how it was filmed and where, um, and just, it was back to two people just talking
1: mm-hmm.
0: and Mank, Gary Oldman was great, but he was performing. It was almost like stage. Mm-hmm. It was big and fast and, um, and their sets were amazing as well. Um, I don't know i was moved by let them all talk i wasn't moved by mink
1: so i didn't watch let them all talk what i watched was the other meryl street what i watched was the other meryl street movie that came out the same week prom which came out on netflix which uh i also feel it's directed by ryan murphy who did nip tuck and you know american horror story uh he's very much part of the zeitgeist of the time right pretty much all his shows become news stories they get a big following where you said let them all talk went simple this is a huge broadway all glitz all glamour packed cast very very busy large thing which i also feel maybe the same way as let them all talk felt very modern and now i just don't understand it
0: well i think it's brave let's get
1: These are two movies that people are talking about with people, with directors that are trying new things, right? Prom has stayed at the top ten since it came out. It will probably be there for a couple weeks. And I think there's a chance that based on its material, it will become a cult classic of sorts. uh, Which is something I don't think that Fincher, outside of Seven maybe, hasn't made anything that would ever be a cult classic. And Seven might only be a cult classic uh, two actors for some of the acting choices but then even then lots of stuff is Kevin Spacey and no one's going to work with Kevin Spacey again. Um, so I mean uh, so I don't know this is just the question that keeps coming up to me this week as we've talked about this episode preparing for this episode is like why are people making these things and I guess now we should just jump right in to make because it is the definition of a film that uh, I feel like doesn't really have a place nowadays even if i liked it even if i hated it it doesn't really feel like it has much of a place in the scheme of things uh unless it's just people making movies because they like making movies um, even with these ridiculous budgets
0: i think they're just making things to put them out and it doesn't matter if they're great or not great and if they're if people watch them for a week and then they're gone they just need content, I think, and new content. And look at this, it's flashy over here, it's brand new. And back in the day, you know, they had a movie and it launched, and then it got a second career. You know, so many movies pre streaming weren't successful. And then they found a second life and, you know, released to home, um, and people watch it 20 years later. And th- no one's gonna watch. Mank in 20 years unless you're studying Gary Oldman as an actor
1: yeah I agree with that so I just go back if they're just making content why even care about Fincher if his name isn't actually going to drive tons and tons of eyeballs to the screen which is in that Vulture article I mentioned he said that that's the problem with Mindhunter that the budget was way too big for the size of the audience I can only imagine the same can be said about Mank Mm-hmm. Why do they care? I mean, what, who cares, what producer really cares about having an Oscar these days as opposed to making a 300-400 million, $400 million movie?
0: I wonder when their contracts are up and if we'll see a change in that. And eventually, Netflix will have to start caring about the bottom line. Because they don't right now when they make film.
1: Essentially, that's the question I keep asking myself when I think about Mank. Um, and I want to talk about that now. So uh, let's jump into to Mank. Mank, for those of you guys who don't know, it is a movie about the writer of Citizen Kane. I don't feel comfortable saying more about the the movie because I don't feel like it actually lives up to its elevator pitch Uh, the movie is supposed to be like a behind the scenes look at the writing of citizen kane or the life of the writer as he was writing citizen kane but i don't really think it does either of those things at least it doesn't do those in the parts of the movie i like the best
0: it's awesome. Well, of course it is i think it's time we talk what is it the writer says
1: Tell the story you know. Where should we start with this movie?
0: I'm curious, what do you like the best?
1: I think the, the middle. I think from about the the mayor uh, monologue where he walks through the studio talking about what movies are and what's great oh. about the movies to Gary Oldman getting drunk at the uh, Hearst Castle and uh, delivering a long soliloquy the middle there that is the movie that is also like you were mentioning as we were preparing for this that's kind of just a Gary Oldman monologue there are other people that say stuff but it's just Gary Oldman with really long tracks of dialogue in the middle and I think he carries this entire movie because he is such an interesting character and he does such a good job portraying that I think that's something to do with the script. I don't think it's very much to do with the directing, which uh, as we discuss this more, uh, I will uh, break apart further because I feel like this was not a directed movie as much as a uh, collage of his favorite 50s scenes put together. Um, But I think the middle part of the movie was fantastic. What about you? What did you like about it?
0: I feel the same way. That It was really hard to get into the movie it was strange you it was different you're like what's going on um i did like they did a really good job of drawing the parallels be politically from that time to now of disinformation confusing voters playing on voters fears which you know they obviously did on purpose and it was a little over the head but pretty well done
1: let me say something about that real quick in the vulture article uh fincher goes into detail so he wrote this he wrote this screenplay with his dad his dad wrote the screenplay and fincher worked on rewrites with him they started writing this in like 97 or 96 this was the only screenplay his dad ever worked on because his dad died in 2003 as of 2003 they could not get it made Uh, And the whole plotline of Upton Sinclair was very debatable if it should stay in between the son and father. Uh, Fincher saying it should go out and his dad saying it was really important to stay in. They couldn't get it made. And then when they returned to it after Mindhunter, all this fake news stuff was prevalent. And so Fincher essentially picked up the script and was like, oh, this is important now. It was not then. And they started uh, trying to get it produced again. So the fact that you brought that up and when i brought that up if like i said it felt like you said it felt so topical but that was never the intention of what it was supposed to be it was just supposed to be a chronicle of this guy's life and that happened during it
0: but they didn't show any of the writing they showed him getting drunk and then finishing the script and you're like okay um, yeah are you ever going to go back to watch it again and this goes back to something i said last week the great oscar films not only, you know, I don't necessarily mean a winner, but the great films you can rewatch. And these films, there's no way you're rewatching them. What's the
1: most recent Oscar winning film that you that you go back to rewatch on a somewhat regular basis? At least once a year, let's say.
0: Silence of the Lambs.
1: Nothing more recent than that cuz that that was 97, 94 or something.
0: 90 90 earlier, like 90, 91.
1: So nothing more recent than that? You don't go back and
0: watch? I think There Will Be Blood is one of the best movies ever, and I don't think it won the Oscar, did it?
1: Uh, I be- If it didn't win the Oscar for Best Picture, it definitely won an Oscar for he did. Best Actor yeah. and maybe Best Director. Um, but that might have come out the same year as The Master. I'm not sure. I've gone back to watch that. I've gone back to watch The Departed a bunch. I love The Departed. Oh,
0: I've seen The Departed a hundred times amazing.
1: But Shape of Water, No Country for Old Men, no nope, nope. outside of like the random acting like view to be like what how good was the acting? What did they do? I haven't gone back to any of these films. They, mm-hmm. they 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 tell the story and it's over. Even the Shape of Water told a really interesting story in a unique way, but it didn't mean anything to me.
0: No, it was just art. It was art, Shape of Water. Did I like it? I don't know. Was it artistic and beautiful? Yeah, it was like walking through a museum. But I haven't gone back to watch it. Do you think Mank was art? No, I don't. Uh, I thought it was a really good movie. And I am a huge David Fincher fan. Um, It just... I didn't think it was great. But again, I don't know... It's so hard to watch a movie like that while sitting on my couch. Because my... I'll get a text message, I'll have to run to the bathroom. You know, when you used to go to movie theaters, you wouldn't go to the bathroom. Like you would sit in your seat, you're like, I'm not missing any of this. And remember you'd come back and be like, what happened? Oh, he said he did kill that person. You know, the seat, you know, you couldn't miss anything and now you just hit pause or rewind it's a completely I, di- different thing now.
1: I feel like if I walked out in the middle of Mank, um, I would. If I was in the theater watching Mank and I walked out, I would stretch. I would yeah. look at my phone, Definitely. and when I got back in, I'd be like, "This is the same thing. There, there's no. I have no point anything. in there. Is there? Is there any uh, compelling reason to keep watching? Besides, you just like Mank." Uh, which is I my favorite part of the film. I liked Mank. I am not a big Gary Oldman fan. And I think he did a really great job, but there's no tension in the entire film.
0: Did uh, you think he was in love with his wife, poor Sarah, or sad Sarah?
1: I gotta be honest, anything to do with sad Sarah, I didn't care about at all. Every time she was on, she looked so much like the stenographer that I was like, is who is this even? And then they just kind of put her in these weird situations to kind of like be something he can talk at for a little bit. So I don't do. I think he loved her. I don't know. I guess not. But I also think there was no relationship in the entire movie, except maybe some odd relationship between him and Amanda Siegfried, which wasn't important to anybody. Did you think he loved his wife?
0: I don't think it mattered because he was an absentee husband and a bad drunk. Surrounded by women, yet apparently he never cheated on her. But no. And maybe it was a period of time when just relationships were different. Um, Yeah, I don't know.
1: You know what, there's a line in the movie that they used in the trailer that I, I really like, and it's something to the effect of, in two hours, you can't tell the story of a man, but you can draw a picture of an idea of what the story is.
0: You cannot capture a man's entire life in two hours. All you can hope is to leave the impression of one. It
1: made me interested enough that I'd like to know more about Mank. I don't think there's much more to know. He was a writer in Hollywood who, I guess, was washed up, and then wrote this piece and then kind of again disappeared into obscurity uh but it was it was he was charming to watch the way he got through the world that was just Gary Oldman's depiction of him but um but I I like that I sound like I'm beating up on the film and I actually liked it even though the beginning's hard to get through and it just kind of comes to an abrupt end I felt like out of the middle of nowhere the middle section of the movie is really nice I think it's well written Uh and if it's not super well written, the acting overcompensates for that. It, I thought that was really, really nice.
0: I think you got used to the movie and what it was, and it made it easier to watch. And the first 45 minutes was a hard watch because you're like, what's going on? And it's rough. And is it a joke on that period of time? Are they being serious? So. Uh, two lines I loved when Louis B. Mayer said that's the great thing about movies this is a business where the buyer gets nothing for his money but a memory what he bought still belongs to the man who sold it that's the real magic of the movies yeah I thought that was really good and then um, Gary Oldman Mank when he was talking to his brother and he said oh I thought this was charity but in actuality it's a bribe And I'm like, that's super interesting because that happens a lot in life.
1: I think it's interesting that my favorite line in the film and the first line that you mentioned were both also in the trailer. Kind of underlining that everyone thought those were like highlights or told a larger story of the entire movie. Uh, I did go back and and watch uh, Citizen Kane because I've, I don't know, you probably get this more than I do, but since I was since I became like an actor and since I started making films, I've had a lot of family members or people I meet that become friends that are not in the industry ask me questions about Citizen Kane. Like, what do you think about it? Is it really the best film? Or what do you get out of watching Citizen Kane? Um, and before rewatching it, I, my answer was always like, it's, it's, it's difficult for me to appreciate Citizen Kane because all the stuff that was really revolutionary in it has been reused and uh, copy and pasted in other films. So I'm used to it now. Um, the Vulture article, David Fincher, David Fincher talks about how he thinks it's the best film that's ever made, um, so I went back and watched it and I agree with myself before I think it's a good movie but I think the stuff that really stands out has been stolen and reused and so I think it's hard now to appreciate it as a great movie
0: where were you able to watch that
1: HBO max okay um I say I say all that because uh I get that question from people who aren't in the movies and to me when I hear the question it makes me think this person wants to wants to wants to watch good art they want to watch good movies they're just not really sure if they can appreciate it. it's like someone trying wine they want to like wine they're not really sure where to start reds feel too too rich or dry gevershavener too sweet where do you start um i feel like naming any movie as the best movie puts people who are looking for a way in at a disadvantage because they have to they feel like they have to have aesthetically appreciate that. And I think maybe this goes back to my larger point that I've tried to make throughout this episode that maybe Oscar movies in total winning an Oscar for best picture maybe we've just aged out of that.
0: I th- I think we have. And so much went into politically and mo- spending money to win an Oscar that it may not be the best movie or certainly something bill simmons says something the oscars should be awarded five or ten years after the movie comes out because then you really know i like that idea yeah yeah then you really know i mean the best movie of all time is the godfather and they thought they were making a train wreck
1: i really like godfather i don't know if it's the best movie of all time but i really like it but I think that's, I think the thing is when you come down, you ah, know what I hate? I hate when you ask people what their favorite movie is and they say, well, how could I just name one? I like so many movies. It's, I think, whatever. Godfather is a great movie. I really like it. I think anytime you try and put any something above everything else that's ever been created, you will only find more reasons to dislike it. Or maybe I'm just super negative. I don't know.
0: I think you're super negative. <laughs> the Godfather is the best movie, and that's all there is to it. Um, yeah, it, let, let, let me ask you a question. So you, you brought up HBO Max a couple times. We're talking about Netflix. When all these services started, it was to get away from a subscription cable bill, right?
1: Yeah.
0: How many subscriptions now do you have, and what's going to be the cap?
1: so i had this conversation with uh, my wife jade um just like the other day so in the 90s when you got a cable subscription for like 80 bucks and you got 400 channels the kind of mantra was i don't need 400 channels for 80 bucks i need the 12 channels i watch for 20 bucks right so now you have all these different channels and you can select what you want it's gonna be more expensive though. Netflix now for me is going to be $17 a month. On top of that, HBO is $15 a month. Uh, Prime is free.
0: Prime is not free.
1: Oh, well, Prime Prime is $10 a month if you don't count the free shipping and all the other benefits you get from Well, you Amazon pay,
0: Prime. Yeah. but I wanna say something about Amazon Prime. That's a different business. When we were kids and our parents would open a checking account, they would get a toaster from the bank, right? Amazon Prime, that's what they do. They're like, sign up for Amazon Prime and we'll give you the marvelous Mrs. Maisel. It's a benefit of getting their overnight shipping and those products.
1: Yeah, I agree with that to a point, but I don't really love anything on Prime. Like everything, Prime exclusives very rarely pique my interest or make me want to watch again. If I didn't have Prime, I would. My life without watching the marvelous Mrs. Uh, Maisel would be just fine. Um, I signed up for Prime for the shipping. You know, what I mean, so I don't Everyone know. I think does, it is kind of like I a think. value add. Yeah, I think it's kind of like a value add.
0: Yeah, that's what I'm saying. It's a, it's an interesting business model.
1: How many, how many streaming services are you willing to sign up for?
0: That's the thing. Like not many, I have Netflix and Amazon and HBO Max, but everyone I know who has CBS access says it's great. Like the new Star Trek is apparently unbelievable. I'm not gonna get it. I'm not gonna pay for it. Uh, I know I get Apple TV for free for a week and I hear the morning show's great. I wanna watch the BC boys documentary. I still don't have it. Now, as they continue to purchase films, I might get it. But like they bought the Tom Hanks movie about the warship and that's a movie in the theater I would have gone and seen. Uh-huh. But I haven't paid, you know, the 11 bucks to Apple to get it. You know,
1: one of the things that stands in my way of subscribing to all these different things. We watched the morning show. We had Apple TV just long enough to watch the morning show. When I sit down to watch TV at night now, I'll spend 30, 40 minutes just flipping through, trying to see something else to watch. And I think in the back of my head, the last thing I want is another channel to flip through for another 20, 30 minutes of trying to figure out what there is. HBO Max has a lot of stuff. It's nothing that I'm like dying to see. And so it's just kind of the same thing. I I flip through the channels until my... My mind and my body are like, just give up. Just whatever you click on next, that's going to be the best thing because you've tried
0: it all. And Netflix, every time I go through it, I want to rewatch old movies. I want to rewatch Cuckoo's Nest. One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Um, I want to rewatch There Will Be Blood. I want to watch The Social Dilemma, which I haven't watched, which I hear is great. But you don't. It's almost like we need a second pandemic. For me to watch <laughs> All these things.
1: Oh, so this is the last episode we're going to release this year. Real quick, what's your number one or number one and two thing to watch that you watched this year?
0: I think Chernobyl.
1: Ugh. I'd completely forgotten about that. I'd completely forgotten about that. I'm
0: pleased to report that the situation in Chernobyl is stable in terms of radiation. I'm told it's the equivalent of a chest X-ray. No. Chernobyl
1: is on fire. And every atom of uranium is like a bullet, penetrating everything in its path.
0: It's only six episodes, and I want to re-watch it. I thought it was great. In part, I remember when that was happening. I remember how angry my father was talking about how... So many people were gonna die and it was all being covered up. And I just thought it was brilliant.
1: Yeah. I think that movie did a great job depicting the story and like mini series. Sorry, miniseries. I think that miniseries did a fantastic job depicting the story. And like we've said in other episodes, the abilities they had in storytelling, seeing that it was six hours long really let you see different perspectives in a in a rich way. I thoroughly enjoyed that. Really really good. I completely forgot that came out this year.
0: It's been a long year.
1: For me the best show that I've seen, the best thing I've watched all year hands down was The Great, which is on Hulu. It's about Catherine the Great in Russia. I don't want to kill you. You're not a bad person. I could kill you. You are a bad person. You're funny. Hazard. Yeah, it's phenomenal. It's super well written. So funny. Really fun, uh, but also great drama moment. Just fantastic. I cannot recommend that enough. I've told that to everyone I know.
0: The great is fantastic. Really good. Really good. And if you are easily offended, definitely watch it. (laughs)
1: I'd say more about it, but like, it's just such an experience to sit through to see the way it's executed. It's just a great, great series. I cannot wait for
0: more. And what a great job they did with sets and costumes. Not overly expensive. I don't think. And I just thought it was great. And the story was great. And you laugh so you much really laugh. And it, and it's offensive. Everything in it's offensive, mm-hmm. and that's okay. Um, yeah. Wonderful.
1: All right. Before we go, do you have anything else to get off your chest about the 2020 movie or television series season?
0: Uh, I'll tell you this real quickly. A friend of mine is going to Texas for the holidays, and their family, you can rent out an entire movie theater for 20 people um, for $150. So they're going to watch Wonder Woman in the theater, in a closed theater for their whole family, which will be like 10 people in the theater, which I think is pretty fun and interesting.
1: I think it's exciting that you think that's exciting. I don't know, it it just feels like transgressive to me. It feels like, well, we can't do the actual movie experience, so we're gonna do this movie experience instead.
0: Well, I think it's funny that they think, somebody thinks $150 is gonna matter to one of these <laughs> companies. It's kind of like Eddie Murphy and Raw are delirious when Johnny Carson's wife had the job uh, working at, at the boutique, and she's like, "Here, Johnny, I made sixty dollars last week. So now we have three hundred million and sixty dollars." <laughs> like the debt, like they lost a billion dollars last year. Like <laughs> <laughs> making one hundred and fifty bucks isn't gonna help. Okay. Well, I wish everyone happy, healthy holidays. Watch some good stuff.
1: Watch some good stuff. We'll see you next time on Hollywood Adjacent.